Are you feeling stuck? Are you worried about what others think and this stops you from taking action? Do you need to find the proof that you're as strong and courageous as you wish you were? That's where I can help. Welcome to Finding Proof, a podcast where you learn to create the tools you need to reach the next level of your success. I'm your host, Dr. Tess Crawley. I'm an Australian clinical and forensic psychologist and an evidence-based success strategist. I'm on a mission to help you find the evidence you need to make the next courageous leap in your life, business and work. So let's get started. Hello everybody and welcome to the Finding Proof live show this week. We've got a very, very special guest with us today. Now, I don't know how many of you know it is, not only is it Mental Health Week, it's also Dyspraxia Awareness Month. Now, if you've been watching the media, if you're a sci-fi fan like we are in my house, you'll know that the, the big news this month for Dyspraxia Awareness is that the new season of Doctor Who, and of course we have our very first female doctor for those who don't know, um, but not only do we have our very first female doctor, but the doctor's companions, one of them actually has dyspraxia and talks openly about it during the show. So um, this young man, and I have been hatching a little bit of a plot to uh, talk to you all a little bit more about what it's like to have dyspraxia. So I have spoken publicly before about being the mother of a son with dyspraxia. And of course, this is said son. And he has just launched his very own YouTube channel. So I'm going to pop a link in the comments a bit later on if you're keen to follow his gaming channel. The channel is called Galaxy Games and he's launched his channel this past week. He's got one video up already and he's very, very excited. So perhaps um, it's no real surprise to, to those of you who know me uh, that I may have a genetic predisposition that I've passed on to talk to the public community. Now, we've had a conversation, haven't we, about um, how um, it might be helpful to people to understand dyspraxia. We've had a conversation about whether or not Roy is happy to talk to you all about dyspraxia and he's been very keen to share his knowledge and his insights for those of you who don't know much about dyspraxia. So would you like me to just give people a little bit of an idea of what dyspraxia is and then we'll ask some questions? Okay. Yeah? yeah? Okay. So um, that's okay. So uh, we've got a little little set of listening ears as well. So, um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with dyspraxia, it is a diagnosis. It's a developmental coordination disorder is the formal diagnosis that's more commonly used in the diagnostic framework, the technical framework, but its common name is dyspraxia and it, it affects coordination. So it affects the, the messages that come from the brain to other part from one part of the brain to another part of the brain to coordinate action to coordinate thinking even to some for some kids with dyspraxia the coordination of speech you're getting the idea of what you want to say and getting those messages from from this part of your brain to your tongue making all the movements and your muscles making all the movements that are required for speech for some kids that's actually really really difficult but for most kids with dyspraxia it's a fairly um 
hidden condition, I suppose, because most kids with dyspraxia, you know, they don't look any different to your average kid on the street. They might struggle with things like uh, handwriting and other things, um, but typically they, um, they go often undiagnosed. So the stats tell us that there's about one child, at least one child in every class in a school that has dyspraxia um, <clears throat> or would meet the diagnos diagnosis of dyspraxia. So it's a very, very common condition and only just now raising its uh, awareness, I guess, around the world. Um, now, if we talk to you about having dyspraxia, what's the first thing that you can remember about finding out about having dyspraxia? How was it when you first found out that you had dyspraxia? What did that feel like? Well, I felt like there was something really serious that was going to affect my entire life, but really it doesn't really affect it very much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what's the biggest thing that you would say that is um, difficult for you when you have um, dyspraxia-related issues? Because we don't like to blame everything on dyspraxia, do we? Yes. Yeah. We actually get, uh, Roy actually gets a little bit cross if um, something is <laughs> blamed on dyspraxia and it's got nothing to do with dyspraxia. Yeah, or, or growing pains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, what's the biggest thing that you think is a struggle for you with, when it comes to dyspraxia specifically? There's um, writing, concentrating on writing and also concentrating on work in general. Yeah, okay. So in classroom, in the classroom, Roy sometimes finds it difficult to coordinate his attention so that he can pay attention to the instructions that the teacher is giving and then also you know, translate those instructions into the work that's required to do. So concentration is a big issue for kids with dyspraxia. Um, you also get some anxiety, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and what's that like? Well, it's like you're fine, then all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to do this. It's agony. Yeah. When there's really nothing wrong. Um, so, okay, so when when anxiety hits you, it's really like a, a big, um, it, it blows up really big. Where do you feel it? Like, where do you feel it in your body when you're feeling anxious? It's usually around my stomach. Yeah. And usually I get a few headaches, um, leg pains yeah. or anything. Yeah. yeah, okay, so body pains and aches and grumbles and feeling sick and headaches and all that stuff that we commonly, um, we can associate with anxiety. We can also associate, you know, kids get aches and pains. So sometimes it's really tricky, isn't it, to know what's going on for you. And so we've had issues in the past where you've not felt that people have really understood just what's been going on and that's been really frustrating and frightening sometimes hasn't it yeah yeah so we've had um, a change of school and um and that's made a big difference what's been the the biggest change for you in um, in, in the new school what are you finding is easier um there's um a lot of other people that don't exactly have dyspraxia but sort of not Okay. So there's a bunch of, bunch of, I think we can say that safely say you found your tribe. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like-minded souls, kids that are, that, that think creatively or think a bit differently. And, and I think uh, when it comes to dyspraxia, you know, the traditional styles of education can actually be a bit tricky. So you've talked about feeling pressured in the past to having to learn the things that you're struggling with. Um, whereas now you feel it's much more about being encouraged to feel confident to do the things that you need to do at school. Is that the, a fair 
summary of what you think? Yeah. 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 And so if you and so because the approach is different, you feel like you can be more confident. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel more Do you feel safer at school? Yes. Because at my previous school, um, most of the time I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to school. But at this new school, some days I'm like, come on, let's go to school. I don't want to miss school today. Because there's a lot more things there that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. What are, the, what are your favourite things that you do? Well, there's most of the subjects there, like craft, gardening and music. Yeah. And and also a lot more people are my friends because at my previous school I had only like one or two friends but now literally all the boys are my friends. So cool. Yeah. So cool. So what you're getting a sense there is that the, that you know we've moved to a to a school that has a more of a, a creative focus and for kids with dyspraxia and kids with other learning difficulties as well sometimes the pressure to follow the traditional learning pathways can be quite overwhelming because oftentimes these are kids that you know they've got at least average intelligence but they're struggling to meet the requirements of a traditional system when if we can find creative ways to meet not only their potential but expand upon their potential then it draws an excitement and um, an enthusiasm that sometimes is lacking so I know a lot of parents with kids with learning issues whether it's dyspraxia or something else often battle with school reluctance and school refusal so we've found a massive change in um, being able to accommodate the creative way that Roy thinks. So who's your favourite? We've got we've got some some favourites. There are some rock stars in the world of dyspraxia, aren't there, Roy? Some yeah. very famous people with dyspraxia. Who's your favouritest famous person <laughs> that has dyspraxia? Um Dan Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. So tell me, what was it like for you learning that um, someone as famous as Daniel Radcliffe? has dyspraxia and seeing what he's been able to achieve what did that make you feel like it made me feel much better about myself really so it really helped you feel good yeah. how how did it change how you felt about yourself um that so when it's all sort of like when i found out that um that the that the new character in Doctor Who has dyspraxia. I was like, I'm not alone in this universe. People actually want people to have dyspraxia. It's all <laughs> like that. So it was exciting for you that people were wanting to talk openly about it. Yeah. Which is where the idea for this interview today came from, isn't it? Yeah. Talking about it and sharing. I think sharing the idea too that having having something out of the ordinary, having something that marks you as different doesn't make you wrong, doesn't make you any less special than anybody else, does it? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't stop you <clears throat> from doing all the things you love to do, does it? No, it doesn't stop me at all. Like having a YouTube channel. Yeah. So, um, um, <clears throat> do you know who that person who's watching is? Who? Just say hello to Mrs. Hicks. Hello, Mrs. Hicks. <laughs> so, look, we, we're sharing today because it is Dyspraxia Awareness Month and um, 
and and it is also also mental health week and you know the kids with dyspraxia often present with anxiety and that can mask the core issue uh, one of the key issues we had last year and, and earlier this year was that the anxiety was building up at school attendance and that became the focus how how do we get around the school attendance issue when in actual fact the anxiety was a symptom of a much deeper issue related to dyspraxia wasn't it yeah. can you remember what was triggering that anxiety for you I remember you talked about what it was like being trapped in the classroom yeah how did that what was that like tell us what what that meant for you what what made you feel trapped well um back then I did get to have some breaks mm -hmm. in my previous school but they weren't really like breaks I had to go outside go for a bit of a walk around then come back to the classroom <coughs> yeah yeah so you got to have some time out of the classroom, but I remember earlier this year, we, we discovered something new about the constellation of symptoms that Roy carries with his dyspraxia, which is uh, temperature sensitivity. And he was talking to us one day about how um, feeling too hot in the classroom compared to everybody else. Um, so feeling too hot in the classroom would lead to him feeling sick and that would then trigger a, um, a bout of anxiety. Or feeling too cold in the classroom would make him shake and so his body would then recognise that as anxiety and that would make him feel anxious as well. So his body was reacting to his sensory experience of the, the temperature around him. Um, we've always had problems with temper body temperature regulation, headaches when there's sudden t um, changes in, in the, the temperature around us as well. And so we really started to learn a little bit more about that body, that temperature regulation. So in his new school, his teacher very deliberately placed his um, desk as close as possible to the door so that if needed, he could just open the door and get some fresh air to help cool down. Look, Here's Melissa, she's in America, and Melissa's saying that she's learning so much. So thanks, Melissa, <laughs> lovely to have you with us. And then that's the whole point, is wanting to really share what dyspraxia is about, um, that it's actually a manageable condition, that it, that it um, responds really well to occupational therapy, doesn't it? Yeah. So tell us about what it was like to see Alison, your occupational therapist, right at the beginning. What sort of things can you remember doing? What treatment did we engage in? Mm. I remember, I remember testing my balance. Mm -hmm. and What's the problem with balance in dyspraxia? Can you remember what that was like? Yes. So um, I couldn't stay straight up and I kept falling over. Yeah. yeah. So dyspraxia used to be called clumsy kid syndrome, which, you know, while there is an element of clumsiness, isn't there? Yep. Yeah. Also, hello, hello, Terry Lynn. <laughs> she said hello to you, darling. Yeah. Um, so balance is a major issue. So kids with dyspraxia often can't ride a bike, for example, or, yeah. or struggle to learn to ride a bike. Uh, and the first episode of Doctor Who showed that really, really clearly with the character Ryan falling off his bike, but that becoming his mission to learn to ride a bike. Um, so we've actually um, come, come at that by, what did we do to get your balance on track? Well, what was the first thing we did with Alison? Can you remember the spinny thing? Yeah, so there was a program called Astronaut Training Program, which required us to spin Roy on a platform, lying on his side, and spin in one direction and then spin the other direction and do that for quite a while. And we did that over 10 weeks, I think it was. Now, the rationale is that um, 
neuroanatomically the vestibular system which is responsible for our balance and other things um, is in, is affected in dyspraxia so when a child with dyspraxia or an adult for that matter with dyspraxia is riding a bike what what you or i would do is if we were starting to lose balance our vestibular system would pick up that we're off kilter and and trigger a, an auto correction so we would straighten up um, or at least we would try to straighten up. But with kids with dyspraxia and adults with dyspraxia, they may not even notice that they're off kilter. So riding a bike is so difficult because they can't learn to gain their balance because they're not learning that they're off kilter to start with and they just flop onto the side. So you got quite frightened of bikes for a while. Yeah. So we've come now to, we've got a balance bike, an adult size balance bike, because Roy's very tall, he's nearly as tall as me. Yeah. And that's really helped him. And things like trampolining um, and other uh, swimming, things that use both sides of the body really do help with um, maintaining and increasing the sense of balance and also um, stimulating the vestibular system. So that astronaut training that we did, was very much about stimulating the vestibular system, kicking it into gear so that it um, helped with balance. So we've had some improvements, haven't we, with balance? Yeah. And certainly as you've gotten older, that's gotten easier too. What about handwriting? What's that been like? Um, it's been... I'm, I know how to write, but it's just um, my writing that's the problem. Yeah. So again, you know, reading and writing, really good at but it's the messages that come from the brain. So think about it, right? You want to write a story. You've got this great idea in your mind and you want to write a story. And you've got that story. You're holding that story in your mind and you've got to transmit the message of those words from your brain all the way down to your hand. And then you've got to manipulate the pen. You've got to shape each single letter. That's actually something that we take for granted, but it's actually a whole lot of coordination of all sorts of things from, from memory to transmission down to the gross motor to move the arm to fine motor to move the pen. And that's a lot of coordination. And that's something that is a real typical hallmark of dyspraxia is difficulty with handwriting because there's so much to coordinate. And it just, and half the time, what happens? You forget what you wanted to say because it's taken so much effort to get that handwriting moving that then the thread of what they were going to write has, has been lost. And so not only is their handwriting often um, problematic, uh, their production of content is then also problematic because by the time they've gotten to the writing, uh, half of what they were going to say has been forgotten. So sometimes predictive text technologies can be helpful. Um, verbal technology, so dictation, can be helpful. What else do you think would help? Have you, you have you found practicing your handwriting helpful? No. No. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, there are there are all sorts of handwriting um, programs that are aimed at increasing the automaticity of the handwriting, but um, not been overly helpful <laughs> for this one apparently. Um, so I guess the other thing really for us to talk about is, um, you know, in terms of being a mother of a child experiencing, um, difficulties that have come along with dyspraxia and the challenges of, you know, attending school, school attendance has been over the last few years, 
really difficult. And of course, as you know, I run a business as well. So being a business owner and being a parent is, um, I've often joked about, you know, I should write a book called The School Hours Entrepreneur, because I try very hard to keep most of my working life within that school hours framework. So when the kids are at home, do I do that very well or not very well? Mm, sort of in between. Yeah. Honest. <laughs> yeah. Honesty is key. Honesty is key. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So um, having uh, Roy's difficulties with uh, school attendance and, you know, triggered by... Dyspraxia does a bunch of things. So oftentimes there's physical exhaustion. So the effort required, even just to sit upright, um, your natural body position is to be quite melted across a chair. So sitting upright in a classroom or standing upright requires a lot more energy than it would for everybody else. So physical exhaustion is often part of the picture. And we often find that we'll have um, on average a day a week, maybe not that often. I think it's getting a little bit easier now, but we traditionally have had about a day a week on average where you just can't do it, just can't get there. So that's meant a lot of unpredictability with my planning around my business and my, my attendance at work. And so I think for business owners who are also parents, um, you know, I'm all about sharing my story so that it, it validates you and normalises your experience, but understanding that there are ways to still run a business and be creative around how you do that when your kids have a need, of, you know, of you. You're right there. Have I tired you out a bit too much? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is there anything you'd really like everyone to know or understand more about dyspraxia? Or anxiety? Mm. Not really. Not really. Not really. Okay. So if you were to meet a child who had dyspraxia and they've only just found out, what would you want to say to make them feel strong? I'll say, it doesn't really affect your life. Don't worry about it. Awesome, dude. You're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I will pop a link into the comments shortly to share uh, the YouTube channel. So if your kids are into games, online gaming, and whose kids aren't these days, let's face it, um, yeah. we have someone here who would love a bit of a like and a subscribe. So um, by all means, by all means, um, do that once I pop that link into the comments. And uh, don't forget also that you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. So my videos all end up on my YouTube channel too. There's going to be a bit of healthy competition, I think, between the two of us around who, yes. who reaches um, certain milestones of subscriber numbers first. Yes, who gets the diamond play button first? Who gets the tin foil play button first? Yeah, I think I'm heading for a paper play button. Um <laughs> But we're very, very, aren't we careful to make sure that it's not about the numbers, hey? We're very careful to make sure that we provide content because we love the content, not because we're worried about likes and subscriptions. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. So don't forget, there's my YouTube channel. There's, um, there's also some great and exciting things coming up with Finding Proof soon. So I'm going to be keeping you posted uh, about the upcoming program that we're going to be launching very, very soon. Um, there's all sorts of, of things happening in the Finding Proof world. So whether you're watching this live with me, and thank you to those of you who were here live, or if you're watching the recording later, or if you're listening to the audio on the podcast, make sure that 
you following and um, keeping up to date with all the news as I bring it to you because there's some exciting things happening. But that's it from us today. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for being being an excellent guest on my show. You're welcome. <laughs> Such good manners too. All right. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll talk to you all again very, very soon. Bye for now. Bye.